listening to a special Virtual Hymns 2020 pop-up studio session of Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, the show's producer and your co-host. Today's episode is sponsored by J2 Global's eFax Corporate, the world's leading digital cloud fax technology for the enterprise with more than 11 million customers worldwide. Our guests today are Jeffrey Sullivan, the Chief Technology Officer of J2 Global's Cloud Services, and Lee Barrett, Executive Director of the Electronic Health Network Accreditation Commission, also known as ENAC. In this session, we explore the top five trends everyone is talking about in the HIMSS community, including the rising cost of healthcare reducing the financial burden for healthcare providers, Overcoming the roadblocks to interoperability and the impact of TEFCA, also known as the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. Improving clinical and administrative workflows. Streamlining data standards and protocols to facilitate communication across systems. And enhancing the security of personal health information and preventing data breaches. Moderating the conversation is Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health LLC and co-host of Pop Health Week. So, Fred, over to you. I'm Fred Goldstein, the president and founder of Accountable Health and the co-host of Pop Health Week, which airs on Healthcare Now Radio. Today, I'm talking with two industry leaders who are here to share their thoughts and insights on the top six health IT trends in today's virtual HIMSS world. Jeffrey Sullivan is the chief technology officer at J2 Cloud Services, and Lee Barrett is the executive director and CEO of ENAC. Before we begin, please tell us a little bit about yourselves, and let's start with you, Jeffrey. Thanks, Fred. So uh, thanks for having me here today. I'm glad to be back with you guys again. I am the Chief Technology Officer over uh, CloudFax and Interoperability at J2 Global, and uh, our company uh, is really focused on improving interoperability in healthcare, and that is providing four of the largest uh, high-trust certified CloudFax providers in the industry, and in addition, we just launched a new product called Consensus that is all about interoperability. So my focus is on improving the ability of healthcare providers, payers, and other participants in that ecosystem to interoperate. Fantastic. And you, Lee? So thanks again, Fred uh, and Jeffrey. Good to be with you as well and all of you. So uh, the ENAC, the Electronic Healthcare Network Accreditation Commission, uh, as Fred said, ENAC, a lot easier to say. Uh, ENAC is a national accreditation organization. So we're a nonprofit entity. We're about 25 years old, established in 95. We have uh, 18 different accreditation programs that uh, really really focus on a variety of different industries. Um, everything from the clearinghouses in the industry to financial services organizations, e-prescribing entities, uh, data registries. Uh, the list of our accreditation programs is, is pretty wide. So we have major focus on privacy, security, as well as technical and operational effectiveness of organizations. So, uh, and major focus as well around cybersecurity as part of the, the security aspect. So we, uh, in addition to these 18 different accreditation programs that we've developed, we've just launched a new accreditation program called the Trusted Network Accreditation Program, or TNAP, that aligns with uh, 21st Century Cures, uh, along with TEFCA. And we're doing that in conjunction with high trust uh, in relation to the privacy and security side. 
Well, fantastic. Thanks, both of you, for those introductions. And it leads perfectly into our first topic, which is, of course, this new landmark rule that was finalized by HHS on March 6th to implement provisions of the 21st Century Cures Act and deliver industry-wide interoperability. And Jeffrey, let's start with you. I feel like what we've got in these rules is that incentive and impetus. We, we talk about the major payers, you know, having this mandated participation in the, uh, the exchange of data. Uh, that is that impetus you must, if you are on Medicare, Medicaid, if you are you know, participating in those programs, start to exchange the, the clinical data, which I think starts with the USCDI, but eventually becomes all EHI needing to be exchanged electronically. You know, having said that, this is going to be a challenging initiative. There is a lot of work to be done, but there are a lot of companies that have been focusing on trying to implement these kinds of standards and these kinds of features as we go along. And I think that it, what really was necessary was for really HHS to say, hey, this is an official standard, an official mandate, and we're getting behind it. What I think would help, which hasn't really come out yet, is the carrot to the stick, right? This is the stick. The rules say you must. There were, you know, when we talked about meaningful use, a lot of carrots associated with that. I think there are probably still some carrots around participation here in terms of, of macro and, and scoring and whatnot. I think... Additional carrots for, for the adoption probably help take that number from 60-40 to 80-20. But I, I think that I'm guardedly optimistic. And obviously, as a technologist, I think this is vital and important. I think that having HHS, you know, really ONC and, and uh, CMS come out with these two rules that, you know, really push this as a official standard mandated in integration is, is vital to the, kind of the move forward. And you, Lee? So I agree with what Jeffrey is talking about uh, in his comments. Uh, in addition, there, there's a lot that, that's going on here. I, I do think that the fact that uh, CMS and ONC working together on this and coming out with dual rules really sets an example and really shows that the two organizations are working really close, closely together in an effort to promulgate really interoperability in the industry. And I, I think that's a very important factor here. When you look at, you know, what, as ONC has come out with this and with CMS, ONC with the, with the blocking rule, the information blocking rule, I really think they, they really set out now kind of, kind of a, not only a timeline, but they've said to the industry, hey, this is what has to happen in relation to trying to, I would say, address some of the chasm that's occurred with basically interoperability and the industry moving to interoperability and gaining, gaining far more adoption of interoperability. There, there's a lot of issues today that, that are still around that we're facing with interoperability. Everything from the, the EHRs themselves to the, the standards that are out there. I do think that with this and with the use of their promulgation and support of FHIR to help with application program interfaces, trying to address more interoperability, creating more interoperability, A, trying to get far more scalability, which is going to be critical as well to scale, to get more organizations uh, utilizing and getting to the point of being able to be interoperable, and to the point where we're trying to get far more exchange of data as we look at things like even on TEFCA here, um, the Trust Exchange Framework with Common Agreement, I think you start to look at all these pieces and how they're looking to come together uh, over this next couple of years. It really provides, I think, a, a roadmap and the type of data exchange highway that we're looking for. Fantastic. Well, let's get on to the second topic, which is the rising cost of healthcare, reducing the financial burden for healthcare providers and IT being able to do that. Where are we with that? Are we seeing it? Are we going to see it? 
Um, perhaps, Lee, start with you. The answer is I, uh, we're making headway, but we still have a lot of major issues to address. I mean, if you look at, at this, Fred, and you look at you know, what we're spending just on administrative cost in the industry, it's actually about 25% can be attributed to the administrative cost. So if you think about that, that's, that's about what they're, they're estimating from what, from what the research I've done, about $1 trillion annually to administrative cost. That is unbelievable. So if you start to look at that on the provider side and the impact to providers, and, and then you've got the, obviously the payer side of that, everything from you're looking at fraud and abuse, which contributes about 10% to that our overall $3 trillion number, that is tremendous. So that's a big piece of this. The whole aspect on, on claims, customer service, the administration, hospitals alone are spending about 25% of their costs for administration activities. So I do think that a lot of what is going on and we're trying to do with, you know, you start to look at this with 21st century cures, we look at the new rules, all of these pieces, um, also getting, you know, focusing on patients having a lot more access and control. I think the whole administrative side of this is one in which we really have to make uh, and the providers have to work very hard at. We have to look at things like workflow. Uh, we need to focus on their whole workflow side and reviewing workflow, determining what is critical and the critical path, where are the dependencies. I think there are many areas in which there could be reductions yeah, in workflow that could really help providers and streamline and reduce costs. I do think that that's what it's going to take is really doing that level of, of review of, of workflow processes within hospital and even physician environments to really reduce cost, streamline, determine where the critical areas are, where are the gaps, and how they can be addressed. That's how we're going to start to reduce some of, the, some of this overall cost and burden. Any quick ideas on that, Jeffrey, or any thoughts about which sort of technologies might assist better than others early? So, so I 100% agree with Lee that, that workflow is probably the single biggest area where you can bring technology to bear and produce dramatic efficiencies in operations over perhaps what's going on there now. So, uh, and I know that that's, that's kind of one of our six topics that we're going to address in a little bit, so I won't say more about it now. But I think that workflow is probably the single biggest area that you can deal with beyond kind of intelligent automation of certain of those aspects, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more in our workflow topic. So if we then get on to the next topic, which is overcoming the roadblocks to interoperability and the impact of TEFCA, where are we with that? Maybe, Jeff, you want to start? So uh, Lee and I were both involved in a webinar a while back that talked about the, the uh, implementation and rollout of, of TEFCA. The state that we are now in is, is we're in kind of Rev 2 of the rules um, that's been rolling out. Companies have started to work through the compliance and uh, certification process for participation. Uh, we're still understanding the evolution of the, the actual framework and the technologies involved. I think the, the time frame that was initiated for that was 18-month time frame for kind of getting through that, and we're now about five months into that, four months into that process. I'm seeing progress, perhaps not as fast as some would like, but uh, this is a big process to initiate, and progress is being made, but I don't think we're at implementation point yet at all, and I don't think anybody expected us to be at this point. So from, from a roadblocks perspective, it's just getting further clarity on some of the, the parts of the, the standards that weren't fully fleshed out 
and having people work through the participation and certification aspects of that, uh, that's where a lot of the uncertainty and, and clarity, I think, has become focused more on is understanding what it's going to take to get certified as a, a QHIN or, or, you know, any of the, the different entities that exist in this and, and figuring out kind of how you can participate in that. So uh, I think we're still in that phase where clarifying what exactly it means is the biggest obstacle to further um, progress. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. Today's episode is sponsored by J2 Global's eFax Corporate, the world's leading digital cloud fax technology for the enterprise with more than 11 million customers worldwide. And, and Lee, before you get to it, could you perhaps uh, let us know, we love throwing around these acronyms, what TEFCA is for some who may not know. So TEFCA is the Trusted Exchange Framework with Common Agreement. You know, we, we love new acronyms, and, and we, can, we can guarantee we'll probably give you 20 new, 20 new acronyms on this cast alone. But in any event, that's what it is. So I do think, just going back to, to the points that were made here, is that I think some of the roadblocks come down to we're, we're starting to get some clarity around standards. Standards have been a real issue and a real, real roadblock. I think the fact that we're, we're getting some clarity around using FHIR, uh, for application program interfaces to start to deal with the, some of the interoperability issues is a good thing. I, I do think, and, and how it's going to be implemented, et cetera, uh, is, are important. I, I go back to what Jeffrey was talking about it is really, to me, I think we're getting some better definition around the rules of the road, uh, how this is going to actually play out and how organizations need to be able to use, what the parameters are going to be, the guardrails of this uh, infrastructure and this digital highway are starting to be developed. So if you look at TEFCA, what's, what's happening right now is they're developing the common agreement, which is being spearheaded by the recognized coordinating entity, another acronym, the RCE. The RCE, who is endorsed and put in place actually by, designated by the Office of the National Coordinator, ONC, Basically, the RCE has really got the responsibility to put together the rules of the road with this common agreement. I think that's going to be very important. I, I do think some of the rules that have come out start to help as well to help to build some of the infrastructure. And I think 2020 is going to be a, the road building year on the infrastructure. And I think in 2021, when the common agreement is in fact developed, we'll then have a better framework and these qualified health information networks, as Jeffrey was talking about, as well as participants, will better understand what they need to do and how they'll be able to implement to be and, and make application to the RCE to be accepted as an RCE and a participant and to be the actual uh, entities that are going to be doing the, the data exchange here. So I do think there's a lot of good work that's going on. I think Jeffrey kind of laid it out well in relation to the timeline. But I, I am seeing 2020 as, as a really a build of, of the infrastructure year. So getting to that a little bit with these streamlining data standards and protocols to facilitate communications across the system, we've obviously been hammering this baby for a while. This is the year for it. One of the top trends, we'll start seeing that go, obviously, with some of the stuff that came out of ONC, et cetera. We're beginning to see that. So does it, does it finally turn the major corner and start connecting everybody up? I'll, I'll take a shot at that. So what I'll tell you is that from, from my vantage point, I believe we are turning a corner. And I think if we start to leverage some of the standards and get some, some quote, standardization on how we're implementing uh, with the appropriate implementation guides, 
So I'll go back to fire for a second. So the fire, the fire as, as an API, uh, an application program interface, is really going to help, I think, dramatically, not only in the interoperability front, but there's a lot of use cases uh, by uh, initiatives like DaVinci Project, Argonaut, that have gone on in the industry. And by performing and, and evaluating a lot of these use cases and, and how it can be applied, we've, we're, we've come a long way in relation to the implementation guides and kind of the, the various aspects that we need to do to provide, I think, the, uh, the guidance to the industry on how to implement. So if you get down to the point where you start to get guidance and people are implementing it in the same way, that's where, where we start to get, I think, not only the economies of scale, but scalability to be able to scale up where more organizations can be using it. We start to address the issues of, of interoperability. We get more interoperability. We start breaking down some of those roadblocks and barriers that we were talking about, Fred. Fantastic. And your thoughts, Jeffrey? I think that you can't really overstate the influence that FHIR as a fully endorsed standard is going to have. Standards in communication are the, the number one enabler of being being able to share data more effectively. Standards and protocol, you know, so HL7, over, you know, FHIR over HL7 uh, is a very established standard now. I think that having it be formally endorsed and formally pushed in all of these new rules is going to be key. I think that uh, you take that and then you add into it you know, given this standard interaction protocol and API, these specific APIs that need to be made available, the, the patient API and the, the provider data API that are coming out in the new rules, I think it, it opens up the opportunity for new business models and new players to get involved in this space. And really, that focus being on the patient-centered ownership of their own healthcare data, I think gives us a lot of opportunity for innovation, which can be both a little alarming to, to healthcare providers, but also, I think, invigorating and challenging. And I think as we get into these modern standards and, and we start to, to try to open up healthcare to the pace of technological innovation that we see in other industries, uh, a lot of good things are going to come of this. I think we're going to find that it is, it's not as if we're so, suddenly going to become healthcare is Silicon Valley or anything like that. But having access to these APIs, forcing all you know discharges to go through an electronic notification is going to be transformative to the healthcare industry in terms of you know so many of the the customers that I deal with on a semi-regular basis are struggling with you know transfer notifications, referrals, and, and getting these things into a clean, interoperable, standardized solution is the key to letting these responses happen more efficiently, improving patient outcomes and opening up business opportunities and efficiencies to new players and existing players in the space. So I think standards is the basis of all of that, right? You know, the minute you inject proprietariness into it, it becomes a challenge. And so what I've done as a technologist is I kind of say, look, I don't want to place a bet on any one technology. I want to support all of them because there's, you know, there's partial adoption everywhere. But as you, you start in that approach where you're kind of Switzerland and you're supporting all the technologies, eventually there becomes a single standard. It makes it so much easier for everybody to participate, and that, I think, is the key to the path forward. The only other thing I just wanted to mention is, you know, as we're looking at all this and we're talking about all these, you know, the, the technologies here that are, that are happening, and we're looking at 21st century cures, we're looking at the new rules that have come out, I think one of the biggest issues that, that is still remaining uh, for the industry is really around privacy. And that's still a big issue that people are, are focused on, assuring that as patients are getting more access to uh, these application program interfaces and more access to their information, et cetera, 
there's still a ma major concern around privacy. So that's going to be continue to be uh, a major focus. I think that not only uh, the developers are going to have to look at, but all of us as we try to continue to deal with and trying to provide for the level highest level of privacy we can for all this data exchange. And that's just a perfect lead-in lead to the last <laughs> section, which was on enhancing the security of PHI and preventing data breaches. So well done there. Um, as we, where, are, where are we with that? Obviously, every day we hear breaches. You hear things with Microsoft security on there, et cetera. What do we need to be thinking about and doing in that area, Jeff? Well, you know, obviously, we've had the, the HIPAA and high-tech rules for, for quite a long time. They were uh, more descriptive than prescriptive, and, and that led to a lot of challenges for healthcare organizations. There's no formal certification of HIPAA compliance. There's just attestations of it, and uh, there's a lot of good practices in there. There are certain specific prescriptions that are in the, the high-tech rule, but there just aren't enough of them, and that's where standards, uh, and there are a lot of different standards in, in the broader technology field that have become adopted. And high trust, the, the high trust organization has really kind of tried to coalesce a lot of the standards out there and best practices into a framework that is a lot more prescriptive. And so while high trust isn't the only way to go, I think one of the, the things that you can do is is in going through and getting high trust certified and evaluated, it's a very, very rigorous process. And I think these external certifications really let you understand, you know, number one, you're given a prescriptive framework, and then number two, you're given an external entity that's looking at your operations and saying, you know, are you living up to these standards? Are you doing things in a reasonable and, and best practices kind of way? It, it is vitally important as we establish these open, more open standards and protocols are going to bring these exciting new players into the space that they really understand the severity and importance of the data that they're dealing with and the sensitivity with which, if they're mishandled, uh, it can cause real problems. So I think that, you know, as we look at this, one of the, the exceptions in the data sharing rule or the, the data blocking rule is, is where it would be unsafe or insecure to share data, right? And I think that speaks to, yes, there's going to be a lot of openness and ability to share data, but it has to be done in a responsible, secure you know, prudent manner, and, and how do you how do you respond to that? There are a lot of, of established standards in security, information security, and you should just think of this as probably the most sensitive uh, kinds of data that you're ever going to be able to hold on to. You know, certainly right up there with payment information as you know the the top absolute top tier of, of information that you want to keep secure and keep sensitive. And I think in many ways, people think about their healthcare data as even more sensitive than their, their payment data and because it's so personal and so individualized. So, you know, following through on these standards, there are a lot of these security evaluations that companies who are new to the space should go through. Companies that are in the space, you know, maybe haven't done as much as they want. But to me, the, the, the key best practices are, yes, certainly have an internal compliance and security uh, posture, but also validate that with external audits and, and uh, assessments so that, you're certain that you don't have any blind spots in your preparations and that you're following kind of conventional best practices out there. There are some very good frameworks to follow. You know, iTrust is one of them. It's very rigorous. Uh, there are a number of other uh, security frameworks as well that, that one can go through. But iTrust does a really good job at summarizing that, and it's been very focused on the healthcare industry. Um, I think that, you know, when we think about this, giving patients access to their own data does bring us to a bit of a challenge, right? Patients, people, consumers in general, are in, to, notwithstanding my comment that they think of this as very sensitive, are not particularly uh, security-minded. They don't really understand the implications of security. And so we're going to have to put systems in place that protect them from themselves or from their inability to understand what is appropriate or inappropriate to share or leak information.
I think those are the, the things that we have to think about and how we have to move forward with them. Absolutely. And Lee, any final comments on that you'd like to add? So the, the only thing I would add uh, to what Jeffrey said, he, he made some very good points. Uh, and But there, there are a couple of other sources that the participants on, on this webinar may be interested in, in going to. One is called the uh, 405D from the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act. There are several really good publications that they've been working I've been involved with that since it started several years ago. So there are some, some really good publications and resources that are out there that, or, that organizations should make themselves aware of, especially in relation to cybersecurity, cybersecurity awareness, cybersecurity hygiene within your organizations. that are some really good resources that you should check out. And then, then the other one is the Healthcare Sector Coordinating Council. That's another one to take, take a look at. There's some re very good documents. There's one that they just came out with on information sharing. So these are some really good organizations to check out as far as additional resources for your organization around cybersecurity and just overall cybersecurity hygiene, good hygiene in your organization. So that, those are just some additional ones to add to what Jeffrey was talking about as far as high trust, ENAC, as far as you know, frameworks. There's some great frameworks that are out there. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeffrey and Lee, for joining us. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Jeffrey Sullivan, the Chief Technology Officer of J2 Global Cloud Services, and Lee Barrett, Executive Director of the Electronic Health Network Accreditation Commission, also known as ENAC, for their time and generous insights today. For more information, be sure to follow J2 Global and eFax Corporate on the web via www.j2global.com and enterprise.efax.com. And do follow them on Twitter as well via at J2 Global and at eFax Corporate, respectively. For Pop Health Week, our sponsor, J2 Global's eFax Corporate and Healthcare Now Radio, this is Greg Masters saying, Bye now.